advisory to those who are not animal lovers, open to new ideas, or interested in integrative holistic healthcare for your pets, and believe that prescription diet is the best food for your pet. This podcast may offend your sensibilities. Have you ever felt frustrated and helpless after listening and doing everything your vet told you to do but it only made your sick pet worse and not get any better? That's me in 2008 with my first adopted cat, Meow. I did everything the vet told me to do and I realised she wasn't getting any better and only worse. So I decided to look into alternative health options and was drawn to the stories of holistic pet service entrepreneurs and their transformative journey, overcoming obstacles, chasing their passion and creating a movement that has caused a ripple effect of positive change in the lives of their clients and pets around the world. Join me as I share the raw, inspiring journeys of these amazing entrepreneurs, their successes and failures. My name is Amrys Wang, and this is The Raw Entrepreneur. Welcome to The Raw Entrepreneurs Season 1, Episode 19. Dr. Isla Fishburne owns Kachina Canine. Her focus is on ecosystem health from the individual level up. She combines science with indigenous wisdom to better the life of dogs in all aspects of their wellness, including how the wellness state of a dog's human can affect the dog. Isla focuses on deepening the connection of a human to live intuitively so that their dog will operate from a place of energetic alignment. Isla combines her knowledge as a zoologist, conservation biologist, shamanic practitioner, and wolf handler to bring teachings about how to improve the emotional, physical, spiritual, nutritional, and mental state of a dog. She is deeply focused on teaching and exploring the importance of vibrational health and living from a place of authenticity. This is Dr. Isla's origin story and her journey as a canine health practitioner. Could you share with people um, mm. your origin story? Like, you know, like what, what's, your, what's your background and, you know, who is you know, Isla Fishburne, like from last time to now. And how did you get here? How did I get there? Wow, yeah. it's like, oh, let's have it in film. Um, <laughs> what, a, what a great question. And wow. So, um, yeah, I mean, I've always, I've always had a deep love of nature, a deep, deep passion of nature. And ever since I was a kid, I've um, just had a deep connection, a deep interest in Indigenous wisdom, Indigenous knowledge, indigenous teaching so from a very young age like from eight years old uh, I I picked as many books as I could that were around kind of you know kind of anything from like African dance African music aboriginal teachings um, and a big calling to Native American like indigenous wisdom so I've always um, as much as I could follow that kind of way of life as best as I could kind of be in you know an, a child living in England in the 1980s um, so, I've, but I've always had this love for like for nature and conservation and and respect of everything. So that we are a species, we are an animal, and we are no different to any other being that we coexist with, whether it's very close to us or we're never going to meet or see in our lives. Um, so that kind of took me off on a journey to study zoology, 
a love of animals that I had and in a very disrespectful way I, I actually I remember my first modules my first modules in zoology were all about plants and plant evolution and I remember like being that you know young undergraduate student that was like you know already like oh I know it all I'm here to learn about animals and I was like why am I learning about plants it's so boring um but really the, my, my eyes were opened about just the beauty of plants and, and actually none of us would be alive if it wasn't for the plants anyway so uh and that's why I have now a deep love of of plant spirit medicine actually just how plants are beings and how we can connect with them spiritually like soul to soul heart to heart vibration to vibration um and then i continued with my masters and phd in conservation biology and that's where it really took me into this kind of journey and world into the concept of ecosystems so i'm really i love i love everything to do with biodiversity everything to do with conservation everything to do with ecosystem health and at the time when i finished my phd i re oh whilst I was finishing up a PhD I really wanted to be a wolf conservation biologist you know in my head and like daydreaming of like I'm going to be in Europe or America just like out in the wilds like studying wolves it's going to be amazing um and although I had opportunity for spending time with captive wolves for three years which is a fantastic opportunity um my journey took me on a different course where what I started to explore and get people to understand is like everything is an ecosystem so as an individual like our dogs are ecosystems which basically means they're a, they're a whole organism so nothing is separate from them when we try and understand even if it's a physical symptom that a dog has or emotional distress just even you know we are humans are and dogs are genetically ancient beings that live in a modern day world so we all have like this indigenous ecosystem that in this indigenous blueprint that also shapes and influences who we are and how we respond and from that perspective my awareness was what we're putting ourselves under and also our domestic animals. So it applies to, you know, horses, hamsters, cats, but massively so to our dogs because our dogs are really kind of like almost like umbilically caught um, an umbilical cord tied to us because they are so connected to us. They coexist with us so tightly um, that I'm aware that with a dog's ecosystem as it is an hour, they're very similar and that we place them under a prolonged or constant state of, of, of distress uh, without enough without enough period of rest um, and in that sense we're creating ecosystem disruption for our dogs as individuals but then it also kind of goes out and out and out where when we are interacting with our environment that is also an ecosystem in itself that is also under under distress as well so it kind of took me on a journey to understand on a bigger picture what how we can look at our dogs as ecosystems, how we can provide ecosystem stability for them, how we can create a robustness for them as individuals, but really deeply so in getting people to understand about vibrational health so that, you know, you and I, we are, we are simply energy beings that are embodying like um, a human, what it's like to be a human right now. Uh, our dogs are energy beings embodying what it's like to be a dog and experiencing that. So we are yes we're physical beings but we're physical beings because of our beautiful cells that have become specialized to make us who we are and to create bones and tissue and eyes and hair and nails and, and everything but it's our cells that are very much alive our cells are constantly and um, resonating a particular vibra vibration a particular frequency that depending on the state of what those cells are exposed to in terms of for humans you know the words that we speak the thoughts that we have what we put into our body what we put onto our body what we're exposed to this environment that is affecting our cellular health it's affecting our cellular vibration and that's what i really want people to understand that when we disrupt our cellular vibration of ourselves or our dogs 
that is creating um, catastrophes within the ecosystem, which as individuals, some animals are resilient and can overcome that in their own way. But some animals, you know, that's that's kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back. And that's really what I want to prevent. It's looking at everything that we can understand and not necessarily resolve, but everything that we can understand to provide vibrational health and, and cellular support. Yeah. Wow. Wow. <laughs> you know, when you talk about vibrational energy and support, it's very, it's very close to the Eastern philosophy that Hinduism and Buddhism have about mm. energy and, and vibrations. Like when you say the word OM. Mm-hmm. So when you talk about vibrations and stuff, that is part of how I look at the universe as well because you know, even if say you're a Christian or, or whatever religion or you, if you're not, but we all have an energy that you can't really deny it, you know. You know, when life and death, when there's a break, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that it's gone. No. no you know, a lot of pe- people think like when you die and that's it, but actually there's, when you break, there's a huge power that you know, happens when, you, when your soul leaves your body, yeah. but it goes into part of the world, the universe. That that, yeah. that 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 is what I believe. Energy can't be destroyed, right? Yes, and you yeah. become one. You see, you know. Yeah. Uh, so that is something which I think, uh, for maybe the Western thinking, might be something that is a bit hard for them to understand. And I'm just amazed that you know someone like you, and as you said, you know, Northern England, right? <laughs> well, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I when I was a child, I used to pretend. I used to pretend that like I was a shaman because I was like. A white girl from England in the 1980s is never going to be a shaman or have opportunity to learn about shamanic practices. So I'll just pretend. So yeah. like, I mean, I used to do a lot of make believe. I kind of still do now. Actually, I quite enjoyed that kind it's, of playful. It could be your past life happen. that's coming in. You know, it, it could be yeah. you know something that's that's been calling you since young. But I think it's just amazing because, uh, especially because you're a scientist by training. I mean, you're very academic, obviously. I mean, like, oh my God, you've got so many double brains in you. I mean, like, <laughs> PhD, doctor, you know. <laughs> um, you know, how, you know how, how, did you, how did you, how did your brain sort of like, you know, come to grips with? Yeah, you know, it's, it's really interesting. It's a great question because, so when, like, when I was, again, when I was growing up, I was really, um, you know, I, I, from an from an early age, I've always just done like my own little ceremonies based on the on the books that I used to read, or books that I still read, but the books that I read at the time. So it was it wasn't very very deep, but it was all the information I could get at the time. And um, so I used to do my daily practices and and just yeah, I guess even as a child, see the world slightly different to like most of my friends. And then what happened is that as I kind of got older, I'd speak to my friends about stuff, and they'd be like yeah either that's just weird and that was the response that I got quite a lot like that's just weird that's just weird so I I just stopped talking about it and stopped I I didn't really stop practicing but stopped kind of practicing as much and then yeah when I kind of went to uni I got really into you know almost like that that left brain of analyze everything and it's you know it's very practical and very analytical and very critical um but I still always had like that that kind of shamanic path, that indigenous side that was always part of me. And I actually ended up getting in touch with um, a, a shaman in, in North America. So a medicine grizzly bear, I haven't, you know what, I mean, he was, I think he was in his 80s when I, when I contacted him. So we had a little bit of correspondence throughout kind of when I was doing my, my degree, um, which kind of kept me, kept me in the loop. But I've always, you know, I, I've always had like anything is possible. And I think from my perspective, and this is why really, I really struggled in academia because 
for me, my understanding of science, were, like with the original philosophers, was science was a subject that was created because the, the original philosophers ha just had awe and wonder. They were like, wow, like the world is so amazing. Like, how does this work and how and how does that tie with that? And why are these birds here now? But then all of a sudden, they, you know, they're not here. Like, where do they go? And, you know, it was all about just exploring and discovery and sharing. And now, and I don't even know, it might even be worse now, I don't know, but certainly when, when I was in academia, it was very, you know, it was very judgmental, very critical, very competitive, very much like, well, I'm just like, I don't even believe your research and, the, and what your research has found. So I'm now going to, I'm now going to do an experimental design that's going to like disprove what you've already proven. And I'm like, guys, this isn't like, this isn't what life is about. This isn't supposed to be how, how we're supposed to be exploring and discovering information and sharing information. Um, so it was, I've always, I've always had that um, awareness in academia and how kind of cutthroat and, and yeah, and critical it was. And therefore it was like, you know, you have to like, we've got to get this paper out before this people do, or even when you were, um, you know, you'd written a paper and you sent off to be peer reviewed. And often the comments you got back or from out from my experience and our experience was, your papers get sent off to people that are working in the same field as you, but from a different university. So again, what came through was competition of like, oh, well, we're just going to find something about your paper that's flawed because we're doing something similar and we want ours to be published. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, I've always, it, it's interesting because um, I've, I guess being conditioned as so many of us have been of, you know, having that analytical mind. And certainly in our industry, you know, people constantly say, well, where's, you know, where's the evidence? Where's the scientific study? Where's the proof? And I'm like, okay, evidence is also in case studies. Evidence is also, if you have one person that has observed in their dog or in a dog or in a situation, this is what I observed, this is what I experienced, then that is also information. And so sometimes it's kind of becoming, um, disrespectful and unhelpful when we are becoming so tunnel visioned into asking where is the proof you know where is the double blind placebo sample large sample size study because that is helpful i'm not saying it isn't it is helpful but that's just one part of the bigger picture and what i've also known for a long long time is that with indigenous wisdom that is also a science it's 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 quantum physics it's molecular biology the way that they are naturally, they're brought up, you know, from four years old, they're brought up from young children to like, you are part of life. Like, this is how you connect and engage with a tree. This is how you connect and engage to your ancestors. This is how you you see the, the, the vibrancy and vitality of life. And what they are actually naturally tapping into is what all animals are tapping into, which is responding from their heart. They're responding from their intuitive mind, which is that heart, which all animals do. And we are animals. It's just that as young children, we are kind of, you know, stop daydreaming, stop having make-believe, stop, stop using your imagination, which is all about life as well. That's what we should be using. Um, but my argument is as a scientist, if people say, well, where's the science? I'm like, the science in indigenous wisdom is that it's molecular biology, it's quantum physics. And that is a science. Biophoton research is an area of science that now tells us DNA itself emits low-level frequencies. So that's why we can communicate. Like DNA is literally communicating to everything all of the time. Our, D our DNA is communicating to the DNA of plants. Our DNA is communicating to the DNA of our dogs. Um, this is why life is interconnected. And that's why I'm like, it's easy for me to talk about because it, it's, it is science. Um, so people then always want to, if people need... Like I need the science behind that. I need the science behind that. Well, yeah, this is happening at a quantum physics perspective. It's happening at a molecular biology perspective, which we can now prove. That's amazing. I, I just love the fact that 
you know, uh, you're really one of those rare souls that, that have, you know, managed to, to, to have your left brain and right brain, you know, like <laughs> finally doing this, you know, and, yeah. and, 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 and focusing your energy into something that is basically celebrating life. Absolutely. You yeah, know, because I think, absolutely. I think um, the problem is with a lot of people is that with our left brain and right brain, you know, we, a lot of conflict, you know, we think about the material yeah. stuff that we have to do, the expectations from other people, you know, yeah. oh, you have to study, you got to do this, you got to graduate, you got to do your A-levels and then you got to go to uni, you know, um, and then if you can go, go higher, you know, or, you know, do some profession because uh, blah, 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 you know, and I find that, you know, I fell into that, I think, um, Gary V, he's this entrepreneur in, in, in the US, and he said something about, you know, um, living in a fake environment where, you know, we, we are living other people's expectations. Yeah, absolutely. And we are, yeah. we, are, we are basically suffocating and pushing down, you know, our true passion, you know, and if we were all following our own passion and our heart, the whole world would be a much better place. And, you know, I absolutely agree. And that's all from a, like a universal energetic perspective as a, as a race, as a human race, like that is why we're all here. So that our experiences are slightly different to anybody else's. So that as in a collective, we're actually a whole and complete because it's like, well, we can put all of our experiences together to, to support each other in learning and expanding and growing. And this is, this is the, the human part of the work that I do that I just love to explore, to get people to understand that of like, you know, what your what your sister is aspiring to or what she wants to do is going to be very, very different to actually what you're supposed to be doing. And then even from that perspective, because we are, you know, like you said, with Westerners, so many Westerners, we, you know, we're not taught, we're not taught really how to honor life. We're not taught how to, to be in ceremony and to look at those medicine ways and to look at those ancient ways, which, which is why so many of us do feel lost because part of us is lost. Part of us is literally part of our soul is literally screaming out to go like, please hear me. And we are taught, unfortunately, like you say, like we have when we're children, you know, we're allowed to play. We're allowed to have imagination. We're allowed to explore. But then all of a sudden it's like that's denied. It's like, no, you know, you need to be growing up or don't think like that. Or, you know, what do you mean? You've got an imaginary friend or and it's cut off. And then it's like, right now you go to school. Now you work hard. You have an education and, you know, then you have a boss and that that's your life. And like we're not here. I always say like one of the messages that I got many, many months ago now was like, you're not here to work life, you're here to experience it. And it's it's something that I remind myself very, very often. Um, because we we are here to experience life. That's we know we're here like our dogs to experience life. We're here like any other being that is here to experience life right now. But unfortunately what's happened for so many of us is that we get stuck in um other people's expectations of how they want to live their life which isn't how necessarily we should be living ours or we get stuck in situations that happen to us that we kind of bring into our life now whereas actually this is now like things have happened in the past but that often does shape like we allow it to shape how we live our life now but it's not now and that's kind of some of the stuff that i work on with people as well because again when we put it back onto our dogs how we are vibrationally how we are energetically massively affects our dogs as well and so sometimes when i'm working with dogs that have challenges it's then looking at you know can we tease this apart of like is the dog's challenge because of the dog alone or is the dog's challenge because of the human um, or is a dog's challenge exacerbated because of the, the how the human is living and the challenge that's faced by the human and so 
I want people to to really understand that yes, we can look at these these experiences that have happened in our past and how they how they could have been worked with, but in, unfortunately in our culture um, or in my culture they're not, and that kind of creates a disharmony and that starts to create you know vibrational distress, ecosystem distress. Whereas once we understand how we work with those and how we can overcome them, then, um, you know, life becomes very, very different. And from that perspective, you know, I'm speaking from experience. I haven't had, you know, I've had situations in my, in my life and certainly three occasions where like my life was seriously under threat. I wasn't quite sure, like, and really two where I was like, I'm really not sure if I'm going to live or die here. Um, and what, and as, as I grew up when I was much like, you know, when I was younger, I have now realized that because of those experiences, I was literally living in my past. I was living now, but by but being shaped by those experiences in my past. And that this, those experiences were there not to block me. Those experiences were there to allow me to learn and to expand and to grow. But I had to find that out myself. I had to learn that myself from the way that I now work now. No, oh, I I I can really relate to to your to that because um, I have a dysfunctional family, so you know, growing up was was very difficult and very hard for me. So you know, um, I was always told that you know I'm not smart, I'm not good, I'm stupid. You know, uh, why can't I be like my brother who was very academic? You know, da 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 da. And you know, why are you so argumentative? You know, what's wrong with you? You know. Um, yeah. So I had. For many years growing up, um, and my parents were bickering. So my parents are divorced now because they divorced yeah. when I was quite young. But it it had a huge impact on my absolutely life. I mean, like, and I allowed it. I mean, like today I can tell you that you know all that crap that happened. I'm still living in the past in that sense because it haunts me. You know, all 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 the voices that you hear, all that that negativity mm-hmm. from the past that you know. Um, when you were told how dumb you are and, you know, mm-hmm. how lazy you are and everything. And it becomes, you know, it, it seeps into your, into your brain and then you believe oh. it as the truth. Yeah. So yeah. moving forward, it was, it was very difficult for me in school because academically, I, I struggled really hard. Um, my mom says I'm not stupid, but it's because my dad, blah, 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 you know? <laughs> and, yeah. you know, she's right in that sense, you know, but it's, it's because I, I was abused in, in that sense. I don't think my, my father and my mom, they, they, they realize because no one's perfect, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whatever their personal struggles with each other, it spilled over, that toxic waste spilled over into the children. And uh, my brother and I were very, very much affected by it. You know, yeah. so we, we had to find our own way of coping and, you know, uh, creating a, yeah. a world and a protective bubble around us to, to try and uh, move forward in life as best mm-hmm. as we can, you know. Uh, is it a good thing or a bad thing? <sighs> you know, very debatable. But I think, you know, I think today I can say that uh, my parents didn't know better. They just did what they could, you know. Did they, what the best of the time, yeah. You know, this is, it's, yeah, it's, hard. Um, it's hard. Yeah, because it's not, it's almost like it doesn't, it, it didn't, it didn't kind of start, it didn't start with you, it didn't start with your parents. There is a deep, there's a deep ancestry here that happens, you know, from when, you know, eons ago, it was all about, and, you know, from from indigenous culture perspective of people that live traditional lives, it takes like, it's almost like, again, a very ecosystem resilient perspective of when people live as a community, they, every individual is part of that community. So it's like, everyone is protected and everyone has made sure like that they're supported 
Whereas even before, well, even before the Industrial Revolution, I guess when we got that division of like, you know, communities and settlements and kings and queens. So now all of a sudden there's a hierarchy like we're rich, we have the money, you're not, you're poor. And so we started to get this massive division, which kind of massively changed the way that we lived. And so it kind of goes way, 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 way back. So even from my experience, uh, um, not the same story, but a similar story was that my mum, so my mum kind of, as she was growing in my grandmother's womb, she was energetically being exposed to sensations that like the world's safe place. Then she was born into an environment that pulled her again energetically, oh, vibrationally, wow, the world's not a safe place. So she grew up again feeling like, well, I don't I like I feel threatened I don't feel safe so basically if I just if I just kind of please everybody and keep pleasing everybody then if everyone just likes me then you know we're gonna have this conflict we're not gonna so she since she was exposed to trauma basically which she has worked through now but then when she and she wasn't aware of that at the time so when she then had me and my sister the same thing happened we, we're exposed not just to our own experiences but it's classed as you know transgenerational trauma there's the whole loads of stuff now that we've got the beautiful subject of epigenetics we know this mm -hmm. is a thing mm -hmm. and again from an indigenous culture this would be identified so it would it, it's they already have an awareness of it and they already know about how to deal with it whereas it's been so lost from so many communities that yeah you are right we 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 kind of live from the past that still haunts us but mm. we actually have tools and practices and techniques that can allow us to work with it's kind of in a medicine way as i call it we can work with those stories we can work with those wounds we can work with those pains and we make them our friends we make them our allies and they, you know this is what i do as i say like i'm not like there are many many ways that i've been very fortunate very privileged and you know there's so many people that are worse off than what i am but I used to live my life very, very differently. I used to live my life, you know, ebb and flowing in depression. I used to live my life of, like you, you know, really believing I'm, I'm just not good enough. Like I'm unlovable. I'm not good enough. I don't deserve to be loved. I don't deserve to be worthy of anything. And that is so not true. It's so not true. Like we are all here to live our best life. We all deserve to live the life that we want, but from a place of respect. From it. It's not using our ego. It's not using our judgment. It's not being critical of anybody or doing that comparison because we are all unique. We can't, we all have like a unique genius. So we can't compare ourselves to anybody else. And it's almost like if I can support people in any walk of life, but certainly in the dog sector, in the, in the canine industry and in canine guardians, like it is so deep. There's so many people, you know, I have clients that feel totally inadequate for their dog, that they love and adore. I have friends that are professionals that are running a business, but yet feel like this is going to be the last day they're going to work because they're going to be found out as a fraud through imposter syndrome or feel that, you know, they're not going to be able to help the dog because there's going to be someone out there that's better than them. And like, this isn't how, like this really, we are, we are living so against the grain of how we should be naturally living. And of course, you know, as humans, we're always going to have challenges. We're always going to have fears. That's kind of, unfortunately, the contract that we signed to be here now. But there are some beautiful ways of working with those challenges and working those fears to allow us to grow, to allow us to expand, to allow us to go to a group of people like, wow, you know, like, look at me now. Look at how I live my life now. But I used to be where you were. I can tell you, I can tell you from my experience about how the way that you live your life is not even from like a true perspective like you say it's it's from the mind but once we remember what the intuitive mind is that intuitive way of thinking 
I think it was Einstein that it's 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 a very it is an indigenous saying but and so I don't know if, if Einstein got it from 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 there and I've heard it from various um other kind of mentors as well and people that I follow there's a beautiful saying that is there the mind is a powerful servant but a cruel master and so many of us live from that from the mind which yeah we can use as a resource I can use to write articles or to or like look at patterns or to observe or to analyze or to 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 on a practical set and put things together but actually when we what is what is truth and how we should be living our life and what our dogs really know when our dogs are like huh there you are is when we sink into our our intuitive mind sink into that heart space yeah the, our heart is our biggest our biggest pendulum it's our you know it's a sen it's a, it's a sensory organ it's not just an organ that keeps us alive it's the heartbeat this is what i find so fascinating when an uh, when like an embryo is developing before the brain starts to develop the heartbeat beats the heart starts to beat before and so maybe it's the brain it's the brain i'm like no this is our this is what's picking up information our heart is is our response yeah how, how long did it when along your path when was it that you you know realized that this this is the path that you wanted to take before that you were still a conservationist um with the wolf conservancy oh, yeah. i can't say i mean you know your, your growth in the spiritual side how how long when was that moment when you go you know, by yeah I, you know yeah so the really good question and so underline i've always known underline i've always known like okay yeah we you know everything is alive the plants are alive the trees are alive like i can connect to all the animals even the insects like the rivers like the star people so i've always as i say just for a long long time now you know i've just always said a little message to grandmother moon the star people the stone people the water people the animal people the plant people like just all of life the elements everything and i've always done that and i've always had a knowing but I've always had a knowing, but with the thought of, but not me, like I can't, like I believe it and I know, I, I know that's true, but to get that deep connection, like, oh, just not me, like maybe in another, maybe in another time or another lifetime or, but I felt I, I got a lot of, um, I got a lot of peace from just simply knowing without being able to connect. And it was, it was during the time that I was in, um, I've, I was in an abusive relationship and it was during that time when Basically, I used to get sanction. I used to just get peace and comfort and hope, really, from there was a there was a, a forest nearby, and I used to walk to the top of the forest, and there was a, a tree. So it was very childlike because there was a tree that had a branch that would it was quite a low lying branch, but would come out and then up, and I would sit on the branch with like my feet in the air, and just on a like even if it was just a, a mild wind, the tree would bounce, and it was like literally I was being cradled, and you know I would often go there and you know. Cr just cry like like how how is this my life and like what like how do I get out of this and can I get out of it and yeah and so it was a really 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 awful time for me in some respects and there was just one day I, I'd go and there's a point where I was visiting this tree every day and I literally just sat in this tree and just overlooked it was a beautiful landscape that it overlooked um and I, yeah I just sat on the tree with my back onto this branch and just was enjoying the branch just kind of bouncing and I just heard I did a Facebook post on this a few weeks ago all I heard as clear as day were the words of like you are enough you and, and I look because I literally thought there was someone next to me and I was like where did that come from and I just closed my eyes again and I heard it again of like you are enough and it was the tree and that's when I was like whoa man I've just 
I've just heard, like I literally have just heard something from a tree. Um, and that took me on a much deeper journey of, I'm really dedicated now. Like, as I say, I've, I've followed kind of this, this reading and it has just simply been reading as many books as I can. But now I'm like, right, I'm really like, I've just had this message. I'm now look, gonna look, look and, and explore further. And you know, it is a big part of my life. There is, there are parts of my life from that perspective that are just non-negotiable. So I've always done, for a long, long time, I've always done a morning ceremony for a long, long time, but it was quite small. But now like every day, every morning I do a ceremony and it's, it is just non-negotiable um, because it's such a big part of my life. But that's the whole point when we, when we look at ourselves of, you know, I just, you know, I feel lost or, um, I just feel disconnected or I just feel like I'm just longing for something. And when we, what we're longing for um, is that connection. And then when we actually step into it and feel it, like I had a conversation with my friend today actually where I trust, like I trust that energy so much. It's like, I trust that connection so much that it's all or nothing. You can't be like, oh, well, I trust it over here with like this part of my life. Oh, but over here, oh, no, no, well, I don't trust it. It's like, it's all or nothing. You're either all in or all out. And because now I'm all in, I'm like, I can't, I can't look at life differently and I can't live my life differently. But if I could, like, if I could make an elixir for people just to drink, just, just to feel what it feels like, just to start to um, get their like cylinders on, like operating on all pistons, um, and I'm firing on all pistons just to get a feeling of it like that's really what I want to bring to the world because as we work on ourselves and really really it starts with self-love as we work on ourselves and like wow I am so full of self-love I am so proud of who I am I have such deep trust in this is me and there's nobody else like me and um you know we walk from a place of absolute respect of the self and respect of others then that just ripples out. So it changes, it changes our dogs. It changes how our domestic animals feel. It changes how wild animals feel. It changes how, as you say, as a collective, everything feels. And I know from my perspective, you know, one of my dogs is reactive. She has had trauma, which makes her reactive. But the two, two biggest things that have supported her in um, mellowing out on that reactivity is working on myself guaranteed that that was a really big change in her when i started to work on myself and also doing soul work on her so really looking at you know what parts of her soul what parts of her spirit so you know again we are made up of there's the physical self the emotional self the mental self and the spiritual self and it's really hard in in you know my industry or even still in where i live because the whole spiritual side still is kind of seen as a bit like to well, I don't understand it, or it's just, you know, woo-woo, it's just Ooh. nonsense, or yeah, it doesn't even, you know, it's just kind of something that, you know, maybe religious people talk about, but I'm like, no, no, this is a, this is biology. This is, this is an aspect that is so lost that when we bring it together, we are creating a whole, we are creating completeness. And so it's like, I love, I love all of life. I love our dogs and our dogs get a really hard rap. As I say, you know, that even our cats, yes, our cats live in our homes, but you know, they tend to do their own thing horses are very similar in that sense but at least they get put onto a field or into a stable where they can go Phew, okay i can diffuse that i can ground that i can i've now got time to sort myself out whereas dogs live it all the time you know the expectations that we put on them the um perceptions that we have about how a dog should be or not be 
um you know the fact that well it's just the dog all dogs are the same like they are given such a hard rap and if i can change the way that a human lives their life and where they live from and if that then changes how a dog feels and how a dog lives then then that's you know that's what i want so that's kind of my mission yeah well when you know when you decided to to make this you know um your career path yeah. put it this way it's your career path i mean yeah. you're a professional in that sense right my so, life I suppose. my yeah, work is my life yeah. my life is my work yeah exactly you know um how how did you um transition you know from the old you to the new mm. you you know like to to yeah. get you know that the, the yeah. of money and you know taxes and yeah. all that you know yeah and, and you know that's a really good question because like it's like um it's still there so don't get me wrong like i still fears still arise challenges still arise things still come up where um yeah that kind of make me um not necessarily panic but yes maybe like i say a fear fear can come in but what i now do is that beforehand i would i would allow my brain to take i would allow my mind to take over and so i'd allow my mind to just feed that fear feed that fear feed that fear um which would then create even certain it would create it would even influence how i would speak or the words that i would use um but now what i do is that when that fear arises so i'm going to take for example the pandemic if this happened if like it was like because at the moment with my business like for most of us like just everything shut down um so if that happened to me probably this time two years ago like you wouldn't even be able to speak to me i would be inconsolable about right that's it everything that i've worked so hard for is over like there's no point what's the point in doing this like that's it all my dreams are shattered that's how i would have seen it probably two years ago maybe three years ago but when it was like right everything's stopping like all you know all my talks got cancelled i'm not seeing clients at the moment etc etc um that fear came so it kind of came knock on the door but now what I do is I see that fear as an ally. I see it as a friend to go, okay, why are you here? And what are you here to teach me? And also what's on the other side of fear is excitement. So I see you fear, but I raise you and I raise you to excitement. So even when I, that news came in, I was like, do you know what? I haven't got a clue. I haven't got a clue what's going to happen. I haven't got a clue what's going to happen to my business. But whatever's going to happen is going to happen because it's happening. Uh, and I'm here experiencing it but I am going to live from a place of excitement. Um, and so I've been really excited with what is going to happen. And what's been really interesting is what, one of the things that I've done for, for a while now is there's a certain, like, as I say, in my, my daily practices, there's a variety of different things that I do. But one of them is um, just have some daily sayings and really not just kind of like, oh, I'm watching the TV and saying like really deep, like, okay, I'm just in silence sinking into my heart and just really with the most most powerful of intention and commitment and trust and one of the things that i say is to live from a place of excitement and so now what happens is that if a fear arises it might even be if i'm traveling and you know if i'm flying or there's a delay not delay on the train or there's something and so instantly i'm like that oh i'm gonna i'm gonna miss my other connection or how is this gonna happen oh i'm nervous i'm like okay i see you thank you for showing up you're there is remind me of something let's go back into living that living from a place of excitement and it, it's just little things that you know um the biggest hooks out of all the things that i've just worked through and worked through and worked through one of the biggest ones that's, that still has a hook in me as it does for so many people that are self-employed is the fear of money and that has been a really 
big challenge for me, really hard. Like it, a lot of the time, I didn't believe it. I, I, I just, I didn't get it. It didn't make sense to me. I was angry, um, going from like fear, anger, fear, anger, fear, anger. Um, and now I work with that very, very differently as well. Because like I said before, like it's, you can't just be, oh, I'm, I work, the, I, I live the way that I live over here because it applies here, but over here it doesn't apply. Like it doesn't work like that. You're either all in or all out. And what I really want to do is show people how to be all in. Um, but yeah, don't get me wrong. Like I still have challenges, things, things still arise. But now what I recognize is that they, they, they're here for a reason. They're here because I'm ready to learn from them to make me even better now than how I was yesterday. So in terms of competition, the only person I'm in competition with is myself to be like, how can I grow from these lessons? How can I grow from these challenges? But in a way that's like, wow, like I haven't got a clue what's gonna happen. Like I haven't got a clue if my business is gonna close down, but like what's gonna be on the other side of that? Like that's really exciting to not know. And again, we are conditioned to go the other way of like, oh, yeah, you know, you know, you, you, you always have to worry about money and times are really, really hard and money's like a really bad thing or, you know, you, you, know, um, you don't get, you don't get to choose what your life looks like. It, like we are told these things from a, from a child. So of course, this is what we believe. This is what we're conditioned into. So yeah, it's taken me time, but just bit by bit by bit, it has taken me a long time. And I, and I really feel that what has, what has put me at an advantage is being connected to those readings that I've always been connected to since a child. Um, but it still has taken me a long time. Some stuff, not some stuff much easier. Like it's, it's hard. Um, like when I speak to my friends or certain people when I'm like, you know, like I put myself when I've been in, I was in two abusive relationships, but I, I kind of like, that was my fault. And people will say, no, no, it's not your fault. I'm like, no, no, I don't mean, I'm really not looking from a blame perspective at all. What I mean is energetically at that point, I was living my life and I'm like that. I don't deserve to be loved. Like, I'm unlovable. I don't, I don't deserve anybody to love me. So because that was vibrationally the information I was telling myself, that is what I was feeling. That's what I was believing. I kind of connected to and found those experiences. That's what you attracted. Yeah, of course. I don't, I don't believe, I don't believe I deserve to be loved. So that's what I'm experiencing. Mm -hmm. And, and so it's taken time. It's not like an overnight thing, but just for me, like with the, my clients or the people I speak to, I'm like, it, it's about, it's almost like, um, it, it does become, it has to be part of your life. So it, it's no difference. These practices, this way of life, it's no difference between like, you know, washing our face every day, eating every day, cleaning our teeth. If we just do it every now and again, it's not a, it's not a commitment. It's not deep enough because it is about like, you know, it is a connection. It's like, you know, we don't go, um, like with our closest friends, with our best friends, we don't go years without speaking to them. Or for anyone that's physically active, we don't go to the gym once every six months expecting to be ripped with muscle. So it is kind of, it is a practice in that sense. It's an exercise that unfortunately so many of us lost, but it's so, it's so important for, for our life. And then again, that ripple effect of, then the knock on effect of how it influences just how our dogs respond vibrationally, because we are all vibrational beings. So our vibration influences our dog's vibration. No, I think, I think you're actually, I think one of the most beautiful human beings that I've ever come across because, you Thank know, you. no, really, because Thank you. You know, the, the struggle and, and, and trying to, to um, practice and polish that, that, 
the energy within you, you know, that spiritual side to, to yeah. really, you know, come to terms and also to acknowledge the dark side, acknowledge the fear, acknowledge yeah. the, the anger that you, you have that's coming up and, and, and saying that, you know, acknowledging it and then like, okay, now can we move in this direction, you know? Yeah. Um, not, many, not many human beings can do that. I, I tell you, I'm one of them, okay? <laughs> you know what? I know, and the thing is, you can't, like, like honestly, if, like, if I can do it, because I'll be, the, I'll be the first to hold my hand up and say, you know what, I've lived from a place of judgment. I've lived from a place of, like, oh, I don't, you know, I feel threatened by that person, so maybe I, you know, maybe I don't want to speak to them. Like, I literally have lived that life because, again, I lived from my wounds and experiences and comparisons of, like, oh, I think I'm, a, you know, I'm, I'm, threatened by them because i i believe that they're better than me so you know I, i've i have lived all i've experienced all those things as well but when you when you when you live on honestly when you are on the other side it it is it's it's just so beautiful and so peaceful and so amazing of how surrounded and supported you are like you really you just know how supported and how how surrounded you are just like it's like everyone's cheering you on yeah it's it's incredible. And honestly, if I can do it, everybody can. But I have to be honest, and it's not, you know, it wasn't like a one day I woke up and my life was amazing. It's it's taken time. It has taken yeah, time. I think it takes a yeah, lot and of it still does, as I say, I'm not it's these things still arise because that's part of that's part of the I always say it's like you sign an energetic contract with the universe. Um so that's kind of the contract that I've had to these are the things I want to experience. And sometimes we of course, we can influence them based on our thought patterns, because again, energetically, it's like, you know, I'm, well, it's like, um, if someone says, oh, you know, people, people judge me because I smoke, then that person will be s surrounded by people that judge them for smoking, because they're like, energetically, that's kind of how the universe works. So the universe is always supporting us. It's just, it will support us based on the words that we speak and the thoughts that we have. Because it's like, well, it's like the universe is like the best boss ever. So literally, it can be like, can I have a pay rise? Yeah, have it. Uh, people judge me for smoking? Yeah, have it. Um, and once we understand that as a consciousness and as a vibration, then we can just start to be very playful with, well, what happens if I just change my thought there? What? Oh, I've just caught myself say that word. What happens if I change that word now? What happens if I just say to myself, okay, I'm panicking. I recognize I'm panicking. Actually, oh, I just want to like yeah today i'm going to live from a place of excitement and just even how your body starts to feel by just saying those words what does it feel like to to be excited yeah, yeah. That, but you're all right we're just not we're not taught it anymore and we we should be self-awareness that self-awareness that you know i think it's so important to to find your center in that sense um not many people can do that because a lot of people are not comfortable even being by themselves being alone yeah. Yeah, with their own thoughts, yeah, you are right. You know, and a, um, lot of, a lot of people are not ready to. Um, they're just not the, the the biggest thing that I would say. Uh, one of the biggest things I would say is that you have to be fully, fully committed and fully ready and fully accepting of of stepping back into that pain. And a lot of people just it's too it is it's either too painful for them or the it's actually not too painful for them once they step into it. It's the fear of what it's the fear of it being painful and um, so once we can work past the fear um it's yes i say that pain becomes a medicine um but that is for many of us it's like oh i don't want to go there because it's having to work through stuff that people feel is going to be a lot harder than actually what it is mm. um and again i speak speak that from experience i say that from experience 
and what I find so amazing is that you, you know, you, you had that aha moment, that acknowledgement about, you know, yourself and how it affects animals and, you know, your dog, you know, and how, why, you know, why is my dog so reactive or, you know, why is my dog so fearful of this and that? And actually a lot of times it's what we are projecting on them because they're taking yeah, it, it energy from us. Yeah. It definitely can be that, and or it can be exacerbated by that. Like there are many, many dogs. Like so, for example, like Tunka Seela's reactivity is also a result of trauma, um, where her body at a, at a vibrational level, um, as she was experiencing this trauma, she was so frightened. So one of the traumas that she's had is that she was also beaten. So that she was, and she was a very young dog when this happened. So again. The body itself is alive. The body itself is electric. So anything and everything that the dog sees, hears, smells, tastes, touches or feels is absorbed as experience. So as she is kind of in this situation where she's being beaten, she's threatened. One of the things that her body is producing is adrenaline from absolute fear. But one of the things that the person is producing as she's being hit is adrenaline as well. So one of one of her triggers is the presence of adrenaline that that really frightens her. And she can detect adrenaline in someone 48, 48 hours after being to the gym. It's, and this is why when we, when we are looking at, when we are simply looking at teaching, like teaching and training our dogs is great because that's just like responsibility. That's just guidance as any, any parent would do to a child, whether it's a human or it's a canine or it's a, a horse or any animal that lives socially. Like that is what, that's what's happened is parental learning or this adult learning where a, an adult teaches a younger individual. Um, and that's a really important thing to understand how to do correctly and how and, and understand how to do it in terms of how our canines understand it, how our dogs understand it. But that's just one part of our dogs and ecosystem. That's just one part of our dogs blueprint. And so there are underlying factors that have been absorbed at a cellular level that no manner of teaching or training is going to change who that dog is as an individual based on traumas or based on its functional character or just based on who it is. And this is why, you know, I would say, look, there's no such thing as a textbook dog, because unless we wrote a textbook de- textbook for every dog that's in existence, then it's just not possible because it, it, this is this is why, yes, it's good to just get like the, the gen- like generic information of getting started. But then when it's like, OK, it's like, you know, this is how a dog should respond. This is how a dog should learn. This is how a dog should be I'm like, wow, like that suffocates me. I'm like, wow, that's that's like being disrespectful for, for, for other species that we, you know, we chose to live with. And that's just, you know, that's just my perspective. That's just my opinion. But from my perspective is like, I, I chose to get my dogs because I wanted to experience and learn what it was like to live with another species. Um, so the way that I kind of understood and um, introduced my dog to our home and our environment um, is different to many. But one of the things that really interested me was that there's concept called entrainment and this is why again we go back to our heart being at the pendulum so entrainment basically the best way to explain it is if um somebody that the clock the clock that the biggest swing has the biggest pendulum influences do the clock swing in unison so if we take that pendulum as our heartbeat our heartbeat through entrainment can actually influence the emotional state of our dog can influence the vibrational state of our dog. So this is why we're not, we're not separate from anything else. So our dog is not separate to its own ecosystem, but equally our dog, our dog's ecosystem is not separate to our ecosystem, to our husband's ecosystem, our children's ecosystems, the other dogs, animals that do not live in our house, but that live in our community. Um, you know, that's how, that's how like sensitive and subtle it is. 
in the Western world, or, you know, um, the way we look at with dogs and training would be dog behaviorists, dog trainers that is, well, you see them everywhere. Um, they're the science, I, I don't know, you know, the science of it. But like you said, they're missing the heart. You know, yeah. like, what's wrong with the dog, really? You know, the training is one thing. I mean, like, you know, if, if, you know, like someone can try and teach me something, but if my heart, if I'm being uh, clouded by some sort of fear of something else and I don't resolve that inner yeah. fear, I will not be receptive to the training. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and I think, you know, that is, that, that is kind of, I guess it's highly acknowledged now, but that there is, there's almost like how, how I explain it. It's like, it's, it is fair to, to see if the dog can overcome it. But it's unfair to keep putting the dog in that situation with the expectation of it is going to overcome it eventually and the dog can't. And this is, again, because, again, so many of us think or project our thinking onto how our dogs think. So our dogs are like young children. You know, they experience and those experiences shape their lives. But they at that age, they haven't got reason. They can't rationalize. They haven't got logic. And our dogs are the same. They are literally living that experience and then therefore how that experience shapes them and their responses so like i say to people look if i'm if i'm now in town if i'm walking the street and i if i get the smell of the aftershave of the person that was my abuser the smell of that aftershave it means my body goes into stress yeah heart rate i can feel my heart going to panic like someone talking to me i'm like um um i'll just give me a minute but what i can do because i'm now an adult and i'm a human so my neocortex is more advanced i can go okay that smell is my body remembering an experience that where I was threatened, but actually I'm really safe. I'm not in that experience anymore. It's just somebody wearing the same aftershave. That's all it is. I can calm my body down. Other animals can't do that. And certainly for our, for our dog, for all animals, it, it also goes against like what, what our cells are always seeking. What our cells want is to be peaceful. Like, you know, I've, I've had something that's got chemicals in it. Wow. That's actually created disharmony in the body. So that, created still a form of stress so what our cells are trying to constantly seek and trying to get feedback on is is safety do you if you feel safe you feel calm you feel rested you feel all aspects of you are well all aspects of you are healthy but when animals experience a fear and it, you know there's a difference between it being like a little shock when it is kind of fear which is deep that dog which varies from individual to individual it goes against animal survival to unlearn a fear so this is why fears are stored harder and faster at a cellular level anyway, because it goes against the animal survival. And that's really what I want people to understand because as I say, dogs, humans are given a really hard time, but dogs are given a really hard time as well. Um, and yes, yeah, some dogs, absolutely. I mean, I've worked with dogs and I know many friends that are professionals that have helped dogs massively overcome challenges that they've had. Um, but there are some dogs that, you know, those fears run really, really deep. And it's part of their survival now. It's part of who they are. Or it's just simply, it's not even theirs. It was, you know, ancestral. It was transgenerational trauma because that's what their mother experienced. That's what their grandparents experienced. And that's how they live their life. But again, they're responding from their heart, but they're responding also from a place of like, they can't, like, it's not like, oh, right. So it's a different time, a different place. I'm not under threat because it, it's the cells that have stored that memory. It's almost ancestral, isn't it? That that past that link to the past um yeah so how how would you you know um describe you know like what you do for the dogs um because how long have you been doing this 
now? Oh, um, it'll, it'll be under Kachina K9, right? Yeah, under Kachina K9. Yeah. yeah. So I've been doing it for seven. So I've been, I've, I've had, I've been doing Kachina K9 for seven years, but it's evolved. I mean, it is. I think when I first set my business, I'm like, this is my end goal. And actually, now what I've realised is that there's never going to be an end goal. All it's going to be is okay. In six months' time, this is what I want to be doing. And then when that's like, it's, it's constant. It's always you know, it, it is kind of like always going to be evolving and, and shifting. So yeah, I've had Kachina KI for seven years and it, it's always been difficult to, it's, it's actually been difficult to give myself a label in that sense of, I was definitely, I mean, I, I'm definitely not a trainer. So, you know, I have many friends that are exceptional teachers and trainers. So I'm like, you know, if, if it feels like it's a training issue, then I'm like, go see these guys. I'm, I'm not, I'm not a teacher or a trainer. Well, I am a teacher. It's not a trainer. Um, and so then, you know, I, I largely I say like I'm a canine practitioner, which for most people they're like, that sounds really cool, but we don't even know what that is because again, people don't really understand what wellness is, and it really is. It's looking at you know emotional, physical, mental, spiritual health of our dogs, emotional, physical, mental, spiritual health of the self, um, and really getting people to understand like what does it mean to coexist with a dog? What does it mean of a canine as a species? So. This is why a lot of the stuff that I do is my teaching through my canine wellness talks. And then what I've done is I've put that onto an online course because I'm like, this is just this is just all my life's work so far in now an online course that people can get access to. And now what is really and I, I still do that. I still love talking about it. I still, you know, have clients. Um, I still, you know, I was supposed to be in Mexico, actually. I think think of next weekend I was supposed to be in Mexico teaching, but that's been postponed. Um, so I still do my teaching. I love doing that. But what is shifting in my evolution is is my soul work i'm now going into doing soul work for dogs so how i literally i can, I can do it long distance but i'm looking at the soul aspect of the dog and if there's anything there that needs to kind of um needs to kind of be brought back or looked at for the dog i do soul work for humans so i've actually just started my um five month it's called sacred creator it's a five month basically coaching program um, getting people to to literally live from their intuitive mind and uh, living as their true self. So I'm doing that. And then um, my plant medicine, my plant medicine for canine health, we're using like essential oils, floral waters, plant spirit medicine, um, which again, I'm doing, but also researching at the same time, because that's quite deep work. And I'm quite a novice at that at the moment. Not not with the using the essential oils and the floral waters from a self-selection perspective, but kind of going deeper with it from a spiritual perspective. So yeah, I look at kind of like canine wellness, but really um, vibrational health, plant spirit medicine, looking at the human, looking at the canine. Nutrition, is like I love looking at nutrition. I love talking about diet. It's a really big passion of mine. It's become really, really popular. So there's so many people talking about that, that I also feel like there's loads of people I can, you know, send, um, in, send people to if they want information about that. It's a big passion of mine. But yeah, just kind of getting people to understand. I, I created something called the canine wellness wheel, which is like if we place our dog in the middle of this wheel, it's all almost like the energy gateways, as I call them. It's all the gateways that feed into this dog's ecosystem that can either create harmony or that can create distress. And so when we work around that wheel, it's then having that understanding of like, guys, this is what a dog is. A dog, yes, a dog is a domestic animal. But it's also first and foremost a genetically ancient being, a genetically ancient canine that lives in a modern day world. 
and there are so many stressors that not just the genetic the genetically ancient human is exposed to but also the genetically ancient canine that unfortunately it's largely putting our nervous system under distress it's putting our nervous system under arousal with like i said before without enough rest in between and what people don't realize is that well not, not that many people don't realize is that arousal like distress is distress because we can't separate the dog from its of its system so if there is nervous and distress there is going to be immune system distress there's going to be digestive system distress there's going to be organ distress there's going to be vibrational distress um and what i want because i want i have this little motto of making making health span match lifespan um which uh, there's um there's a shaman called alberto Valodo, and in one of his books he refers to it as making making health span equal lifespan so making health span match lifespan that's kind of what i want for all of life like we it is it's it is fact that our dogs the, their life expectancy is less than ours anyway fact but i want our dogs to have i want all of life before the expiration date to have as long and healthy and happy life as possible because that's kind of why we're all here um yeah ah, that's beautiful that that's really beautiful thank you uh, i i was most struck by when yeah your when you want your lifespan to match your health span the equal health span yeah. that that really yeah. struck me because I think that's what um, I think many people now are, are slowly gaining an awareness of the self awareness and yeah. how it affects us and yeah. you know, and the energy and again because like we talk about like you say nutrition canine um, animal health human health you know your lifespan should be healthy if your lifespan sucks yeah. what is the point. <laughs> Yeah. yeah and that's the thing you know we we are living so many of us now we are we're living longer but we have like a longer life but longer sickness and yeah. that's like that's yeah. not like we we should kind of get to a point where you know we we get old it's like we can kind of hear like our ancestors calling us for want of a better word and we know like okay it's our time but I've, you know i've i've lived my life i've done what i was here to do i've done what i've i've lived my life in a way that brings me the best the greatest of joy the greatest of things that you know like I was excited about and I was passionate about. Um, but, you know, we, unfortunately, so many of us are not at all, you know, they're just dreams or you can't do that or that's not possible. Or we put conversation from, you know, what film says to us or what media says to us or what our parents say or what our teachers used to say or, you know, and that is, it, it's um, so, um, yeah, full of disharmony. Um, you know, there is another way to live, another way that we should be that we should be being taught. And I see it all the time, you know, when I'm traveling, I see how parents speak to their children or how someone speaks to a child. I'm like, right there, right there, that's planted a seed for them to think I'm not good enough or there's something wrong with me or, you know, I'm, yeah, I just don't feel good. And then that's the problem. We develop then that belief of like, well, there is something wrong with me when there's nothing wrong with any of us. We're just you know, on our own path of learning and development and and working through working through life. Which... Which animal would you say um, has made the greatest impact in your life? You know, in, in your path. Which animal? Yeah, you know. I mean, spiritually. So I do have, I do have some. Okay, so this is the story. So um, I have, like, we all have power, power animals, which maybe is a book from the time. So we all have power animals, and we all have at least one. Um, but when we become more connected to our power animals, then we can have more than one. So I have four. But when I was a kid, um, so I've always had ever since, ever since I was old enough to, 
to talk really every Christmas and every birthday when I was asked, you know, what do you want as a gift? What do you want as your, for your birthday? What do you want for Christmas? Um, I always said I wanted a wolf and bear and also a fireman's ladder. I don't remember why a fireman's ladder. I'm going to, I am going to write a book about this sometime soon. It's going to be called the wolf, the bear and the fireman's ladder. Um, but I used to say the wolf and bear had to be real, but small enough so that they could fit inside my pocket so that wherever I went, they could come with me. So I was always connected to my wolf and bear and they've, they followed me throughout my life and they, they continue to follow me now. So, um, you know, again, many childhood memories of being out. I guess, again, I was really fortunate where we lived, although we lived in like a big estate, right at the back of our street was a beautiful, um, like countryside. We used to call it the Sand Hills. I don't even know what it's called, but it's like this big, just countryside where you could just bomb around. Um, and I spent many a time down there, like with my friends, with my dad, just on my own, just with my, my wolf and my bear. So like, but people would say, no, they were make-believe, they were imagination, but they're still with me now. Canines definitely, you know, I love all animals, but I just really get canines. Um, and definitely one animal, one individual animal that has really brought big change in me and a lot of teaching is has been my, my, my wolf dog, Tunkasila. Definitely um, working with the wolves so closely as I did was taught me a lot, taught me a lot about actually, even though those animals that I worked with were in captivity, they weren't, they weren't socialized to random humans. They were socialized to people that had spent time interacting with them and then eventually integrating with them. But um, there's a lot of stuff that I saw in the walls that taught me a lot about myself and a lot about life, a lot about how life should be and a lot about how we should be with our animals, um, animals that we coexist with. And also just a lot about canines, like things that, that you know, we, we don't understand why dogs do or dogs shouldn't be doing or what even does this mean that I see I see wolves do as part of communication or part of life and you know one of the things that always brings like I just reminiscing about and brings me great joy is that even though they were in captivity and even though they were, were a family that you know spent all their time together every morning every morning when the animals when the wolves woke up the first thing that, that they would do is greet each other and play and almost it was like saying like guys is everyone is everyone feeling okay is everyone t is everyone feeling as good as today as they were yesterday and that you know even that just taught me so much of just you know the fun the fun of like like wow it's a new day how ex like how exciting new day guys it's a new day that taught me so much it really really did the living yeah. in the now say that again sorry Living in the now in that sense. Oh, living in the now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it really, that was a really big lesson. Yeah. Um, okay, I think for a lot of people, they would say, you know, what's the difference between, say, a wolf and a dog? I mean, canine, canis, uh, you know, yeah. modern day wolf, you know, um, you know, for those who, who, you know, might not know the difference, maybe you can explain a bit, you know, um, wolf and, and our dog, you know. Yeah, um, it's funny because, you know, I try and get, I laugh when people are stuck in like a linear way of thinking, which many of us still are. And certainly many, many scientists are. And, you know, I certainly used to be when I'm like, wow, there is like endless possibilities and really anything, anything is possible. So, I mean, in terms of a species, like our wolves are classed as Canis lupus and our dogs are classed as Canis lupus familiaris, which basically means it's like a subspecies, which tells us that from a scientific perspective, there are so many similar so there are a few differences which is why it's a subspecies but there are so many similarities that we're not classing as a separate species so that in itself tells me if there's so many similarities then we can look at 
we can understand like the dog's wild cousin or wild ancestors to understand some of their primitive and indigenous behavior. I mean, a lot of the, a lot of the things that domestic dogs do is because they're a canine, like that's what they're going to do. And then it's almost like, well, then try and stop it. You know, don't do that. Don't do this. And like, like that's part, that's like someone saying, oh, you know, don't sit on a chair with your legs crossed or don't hold your pen to, to you know, just things that we would naturally be doing as we are as a species. There are, you know, d domestication what i say to people is like domestication is a process not an event so we kind of have created a mishmash of some dogs that are like very domestic like a domestic and very very domestic and we have some dogs that are domestic but still very very primitive and i love observing those dogs and i love working with those dogs that have these primitive instincts about them still so it could be a particular breed uh, like your wolf dogs for example um even like your shiba inus um, but it could also be then that the dog's an individual. There are certain dogs because of their life experiences, because of who they are as an individual, um, that they are just, even within a litter of pups, they're just a really just, they live from like this, this innate self, this instinctive self. So yeah, of course, domestication has made dogs more reliable on us. Domestication has made dogs kind of, you know, some dogs want to not, not want to hunt animals. Um, it's made dogs feel content and warm. It's made dogs, in that sense, like, you know, um, diluted them because some dogs are so dependent on us. You know, they can't problem solve. They can't almost like work things out for themselves. Uh, they kind of eventually maybe, but even then they're still are like, oh, I'm stuck. And like, oh, I feel, I don't feel like I have confidence without my human. Um, so we've kind of diluted them in that sense. And yeah, we've changed, you know, in terms of morphology and phenotype we have changed certain dogs and how they look again, which is why I love primitive dogs, because for me, I'm like dogs, a dog's, a, the muzzle of a canine should be the muzzle of a canine. The ears of a canine should be the ears of a canine. The tail of a canine should be the tail of a canine because they're used for communication. And then all of a sudden we're trying to put these different dogs together that sometimes it's just really confusing because like, I know that the importance of ears, how ears are used for different communication. Whereas some dogs can do that and some dogs can't. And that can be quite confusing for dogs as well. From my perspective, I'm always working with the dog as an individual and really first and foremost, I'm seeing everything as energy. So even like, I love talking about functional character and when we're looking at the functional character of a dog, even looking at like, you know, again, people just think, oh, well, a do dog's a domestic animal, so it should be able to get with all of the dogs. I'm like, that just doesn't make sense whatsoever. There is, there is an ecology to it. There is a group composition that we need to understand because again, it's like when we bring individuals together, we are creating an orchestra. So we're creating either a symphony, we're creating a harmony and wow, like bringing these individuals together, like harmonizes group safety, it harmonizes confidence and support, or we put individuals together and it, it literally creates chaos and noise and conflict. So there's, for me, there is, there is more primitive, um, and not yeah, primitive energies, um, instinctive energies, that our dogs are showing and our dogs are living from regardless of the fact that they're a domestic animal yes we have to uh, we have to accept and recognize that they are domestic domestic animal because that has changed them to a certain extent and also what you know one of the biggest things that i saw when i worked with the wolves I, we had wolves we had wolf dogs we had wolf hybrids and we all dogs is how how more tolerant the wolves and the wolf hybrids were towards each other than the domestic dogs and actually there's been some studies that, that have looked at this now and it would make sense because even though in terms of your wolves and wolf hybrids they're only you know male or female and certain functional characters um 
what we have done through domestication is that we've we've made the dog be more reliable on the human so now we become a resource and the dogs are kind of like you know for our survival like my human feeds me my human walks me my human gives me water my human does caregiving duties so it's almost like the need to have um certain group composition is maybe not necessarily as um as concrete as it needed to be with you know with your wolves and your wolf hybrids and that's something that i definitely saw and i i still i still see today with domestication that's definitely changed the level of tolerance and um, you know even kind of dogs i know many people like my dogs are just they're all fed together their food bowls go down and they're fine but again i know many dogs that get on fine but then at feeding time you know dogs need to be fed in different rooms or fed like really spread out um but again it's because we put this like we put this pressure on our dogs of what the expectation is of what they should be doing what they shouldn't be doing and then again that can create stress in the dog and um, which then kind of comes through in their behavior as well can you um explain to me what is a wolf hybrid wolf wolf hybrid and a oh yeah dog? Uh, yeah, I'm so it's kind clear of, about that. They are it, depending on who you speak to. They are kind of changed interchangeably, and I think that might it might be different in the US. I've, I can't even remember to be honest. So, from from my perspective, my reference to a wolf hybrid and a wolf dog. So, wolf hybrids are basically they have a higher wolf content. So, for something like you'd class as an F one, an F one generation would be um, the first generation born of a wolf crossed with a German Shepherd. That was like the original strain of creating a wolf dog but they'd be classed as a wolf hybrid because they just have a high wolf content and i don't know i mean I've, i'm not as clued up to this as i used to be pardon me um so i certainly knew i don't know if it's changed now but f1 f2 f3 were kind of classed as wolf hybrids um and then if you have like f4 f5 f6 or just kind of wolf dogs they're classes like okay they still come from um a wolf dog lineage so where they've had wolf put back into them but they might be like an f1 cross with an f3 um or an f3 cross with an f3 so it's like wolf hybrids that have been crossed and um, to then create wolf dogs um and then now you get wolf you get wolf dog mixes which you know a wolf dog crossed with another german shepherd or a husky or a malamute or a utenagen or a northern inuit or tamascan or yeah okay so a wolf dog would be considered more domestic more domestic yeah, yeah more domestic yeah yeah friendly. and in that sense they're like it's funny because i think people get people get so frightened around the concept of of wolves or probably because what we read or what we see in movies and stuff and also wolf hybrids because they can see how tenacious a dog can be they're like wow if a you know if a dog can be that tenacious like imagine what a wolf hybrid or like a, a wolf would be and then um, oh funnily enough here comes Casilla. Here's our wolf dog. You're yeah, right, baby. Oh, wow. I've been waiting for her to come onto yes. TV. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Um, yeah, but the thing is with our with our dogs, because I know, baby. You can everyone can see on the screen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, with our wolf hybrids and, and wolves, like oh sorry, with our dogs and wolf dogs, because they have been domesticated, they have just through that genetics almost and their ancestry they have a they have more of a familiarity with humans so therefore there's like a less they're less fearless of of humans whereas with your wolf hybrids and your wolf dogs and uh, sorry with wolf hybrids and wolves there's still more of that preservation of like i'm fight i'm fearful of you but i'm actually haven't had that association with living around you and among you and um, so you can you still get more of that reservation more wild, so they, more feral. Yes, of, yeah, so of course, I mean, 
you know they will protect their they will protect their young if they're starving if they're not well they can get these injuries and these issues of course you know i have in england where there is an un unfortunately for me there's there's no wolves running around wild um but of course it is kind of like a everyone needs to survive so i am very interested in the conflicts that happen in europe the conflicts that happen in in america with you know ranchers and herders and um you know them having to coexist with the wolves and how we do that fairly and honorably for both for both species or all species um but yeah with even with your wolf dogs and, and certainly with domestic dogs they it's like well I've kind of been molded to to be in with the human race so therefore um yeah of course we still get those dogs that if they are feeble we get some dogs that do withdraw whereas many dogs are like do you know what I am I am going to use my I am going to use that mouth I'm going to use my teeth um I I know of um wolf biologists telling me from America where like a wolf had fallen like um a hunter had trapped a wolf and they were literally like slashing its Achilles heel and the wolf wasn't even retaliating the wolf was just hiding like carrying its head uh, in the darkness um so yeah we've kind of domestication has again create this create this resilience and and as i say then this like less being less tolerant towards their conspecifics their their, their other dogs Tunkasila, how old is she now she's 12 and and you've happy though how long have you had a since puppyhood? Since or? she was, I've had her since she was. Yeah, I had her since she was eight weeks old. Should have probably got her when I was ten weeks old. This isn't that's, that's what I now tell people. But yeah, I got her when she was eight weeks old. Yeah. Wow! So she has actually been with you. She is your life in that sense. Yeah, yeah. She's so. Oh yeah, I mean, she's my like you know you. You never really want to say you got favorites, but she's she's my heart dog. We've been through. Yeah, we've been through a lot. You know, she was. Um, she experienced being in an abusive relationship with me. She was in that abusive relationship. She was a reason why I left the abusive relationship. Um, she's seen me be in that place of deep depression and darkness and lack of self-love and fear and, and all that side and now coming through. And that's, and that's why I know like it's, you know, now that I live the way that I live, it's made her go, oh, right. And she's like, there you are. Like, there you are. It's, yeah. So would you yeah, say during yeah. your during your, your turmoil and your struggles, she was reactive because she was trying to be protective over you? No, um my, because she still she still is reactive now, it's just a lot better. Um mm. her reactivity is for a Muscle few reasons. Memory. So her reactivity is unfortunately a, a fair few traumas. So when we look at trauma and we look at bad experiences, so it's like children, children that have a human that has ex that has fearful experiences when they're young is absorbed a lot harder because they don't understand it than if we had the similar experience with an adult. So unfortunately, like the very first introduction that she had to dogs was at the time I was living in Sheffield, um, just taken on like this big local park, but we had to walk up a mound. And when I got to the top of a mound, there was a dog walker had 10 dogs off lead and they saw her as a puppy her first time out and they just all ran after her. Um, I mean, she didn't get hurt in that. She got emotionally and spiritually hurt, but physically she didn't get hurt. But that created problems for her just around dogs and has continued to do so. And then there was, unfortunately, then then as we were getting her introduced to other dogs, there was a lady that she bought a rescue and the, the rescue dog was very aggressive. And she just thought, well, my, my dog's aggressive, but it's okay if I just let my dog be off lead and, and just put a muzzle on it. But the dog constantly would try and 
try and hurt Tungasila. So she's had some bad experience in that sense. She's had bad experiences from humans and that, you know, she, she unfortunately has been abused, she has been beaten. Um, and that all happened when she was very, very young. So that's why in terms of those experiences when she was young, she's absorbed, like really the presence of adrenaline is a really big one for her, a really big trigger. Um, but then with that, we then look at who she is in terms of a breed. So she's a wolf dog, which I mean, I've had loads of other wolf dogs and we recently lost, we had, an, we had another wolf dog caller who we lost just March the, March the 11th, who was a total, I mean, he's a wolf dog, but he was a different functional character. So he was a functional character class as a follower, which is just they're really laid back, really placid, just like, well, I'm here, like everyone's friend. Whereas she's also what's classed as a guide. So it naturally makes her very, very self-preserving. So therefore she never like dogs dogs that are guides as functional characters never expect their life to be on the line and if they're put in situations where they're like actually this like i should have had support here this should, should never have happened they can really absorb it in in much bigger ways than other functional characters so there's like a few things that have, have shaped the reason why she can react but equally yes certainly from where I used to operate, that was that was one for her as well. Because again, I'm living from a place of arousal. I'm living from a place of fear. So I'm telling her energetically, the world is a scary place. Like we're not safe here. Absolutely. How many functional characters are there in in? So in... as far as I'm aware, there's nine. Nine. Yeah. Wow. And and what are they? Okay. So like, it's a really big subject. So okay. I literally have I like I talk about it in a separate module on my online course, but. I have just opened up um, people if they want to just learn about functional characters. There's another online course that they can just read wow. about functional characters. Okay. Um, so there's basically, and as I say, it there is there is um, like a, a method to understanding functional characters, but there's um, a guide, a defender, an overseer, a follower, um, an onlook, a hunter, a guardian, um, a peacekeeper, and a, a, a solitary individual. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I really, I really enjoy like some, you know, sometimes I think when you talk about something, you like functional character, like everybody wants to know about it. And then again, I want to, I want to like label it on my dog and I'm like, labeling is very linear. Like that is not expansive at all. So it's really, it's been so helpful in so, so many situations. Sometimes I'm like, Do you know what? It's not even relevant right now. Like what is overriding your dog's functional character is the trauma that your dog's had or what is overriding your dog's functional character is its nutrition or, um, you know, so, so, it, it, so it's you, an amazing subject because. So you think functional character is the, the dog's like true inner self. Is that what you're saying? Um, it's <clears throat> a really weird, it's a really neat way of putting it actually. So yeah, except it is like, because dogs, even though they're domestic animals, they are social group animals. So it doesn't make sense for social group living and social group safety and social group survival for all individuals to be the same. So in order to, it's almost like a military operation or how a household would work or how a community would work or even how a business would work. Like we, they all have like within a particular social group, there are certain individuals that have different functional characters and certain individuals that are the same functional character so that that social group functions as harmony has as harmoniously as it should and so that everyone's survival is enhanced and supported so they yeah, have different functional characters to to perform different different functional purposes so it's a i suppose it's a little bit like their true identity but then of course that's just a part of what makes our dogs whole in terms of you know a living sentient being that they are uh, you know but it's really you know i have loads of people that learn about functional characters that from dog groomers dog 
dog walkers, dog professionals, and they're just like, wow, like in certain circumstances, like functional character, no doubt functional character has changed, changed the way they work or changed a certain setup. And yeah, so it can be really, really valuable. But it's, you know, it's not the only thing, but it, it, it is for me, it's something that we that we should be considering and understanding in our dogs. Well, in my in my primitive ignorant mind when you're describing functional characters i'm actually thinking of role-playing like dungeons and dragons <laughs> i love dungeons and dragons you know you have your mage your elf <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's kind of myself. Like, you know, even in as i said business you've got like you know i guess your your boss you've got the ceo and then you've got like i don't know assistant manager you've got manager assistant managers then you've got your like admin, then you've got your web design, then you've got your secretary. They all are important. They all have, you know, in order, in order for that business to function and perform as it should and fully, they're, they're all, their, all their performances are important, um, but they're just doing tasks. But what it means is that when we understand functional character, it means that um, it's, it's like an, an, it's looking at dogs at a deeper perspective or a different level of consciousness or a different perspective where it there are certain with with certain with with the functional characters there are certain qualities or traits that we can see so then it helps us understand to even go okay i want a dog to perform this task okay well, we'll get this functional character this is the type of household that i have and the way that i live my life okay well get this functional character um it explains like the speed at which a dog can learn the expectations of a dog why like a dog may like like again how you look at group composition so you're supporting group composition in terms of not just gender but also functional character because having too many of the same functional characters of some functional characters together would cause conflict anyway because you wouldn't have that that many understanding why some dogs like you know you do naturally you within a litter within a function within a group of functional characters there are some dogs that are naturally born as shy and suspicious dogs because of their functional character like it's really important to to be that way and because of the purpose that they, well, the role that they have and the, the, the purpose that they have within that, that group setting. But then what happens is, be, although they're a, sh a shy, nervous, suspicious dog, they get support from the rest of the group that are not shy, nervous, suspicious individuals. What can happen is, again, we get that dog and we don't understand its functional character and we expect that dog to be different to what it is. And that's kind of where I feel quite suffocated because I'm like, you know, working with that dog is beautiful and fine, but they're a kind of protocols that we need to understand about how we support that dog so that that dog is living its life how it should um and that's the problem we we many of us don't understand functional character or know about it and we just therefore we don't apply it so you you have a course for um i'm not even sure how to pro your your canine wellness program you you, you know you yes. have is that the proper program name i'm i'm sorry yeah, yeah, complete the, yeah i have um the online course which is complete canine wellness which is not online course which is complete case actually it's a lie it's probably not complete canine wellness because we're all learning right so it's all the answers i'm afraid um but yeah it's kind of like everything that i know so far just put into an online course but then if people just want to know about functional character there is a separate online course that is just called canine functional characters and and all it is is it's literally with within the bigger course there is a whole module on functional characters so all i've done is taken that module and put it as a as a standalone module so it's kind of from the longer course anyway so um say pre-covid 19 or post-covid 19 i i know that you had your weekend retreats you know you had a, a retreat yes where... i still do my retreats 
Yes. Could you, yeah. could you talk more about your retreats? Because I mean, I'm I'm on the other side of the world, but you know, I I very envious, and I wish that I I wasn't you know uh, where you were, so I could bring my dog to you and and go for a retreat. But yeah, could you share could you share the process of you know what? Um, yeah. So the retreats done? are kind of. Um... Yeah, the, the retreats are clustered. Well, I've just changed the name of them actually to um, Better Connected, Better Canine Retreats. So it's a whole concept of like, as we become more connected to ourselves, we become more connected to life, to earth, to the universe, then that through alignment better connects our dogs to themselves and to us as well. So the retreats are um, just a long, a long weekend retreat for a small group of people that want to explore the more vibrational side of who they are, the vibrational side of who their dogs are. So it involves daily practice. It involves like one of my passions is um, indigenous drumming. So indigenous drumming for the self, indigenous drumming for the dogs, because again, drumming is a form of sound therapy, but it, it kind of resonates and um, replicates the, the vibration of earth itself. So it replicates the heartbeat, which we are all, which all kind of puts us into a lullaby because again, is what we first hear when we are developing in the womb. Uh, including our dogs um, we look at again like plant medicine for our dogs it's all about healthy eating a lot of like rest time and practices and how we live from our intuitive mind so how we tap into you know when things arise here how we have an awareness of those we catch them and we bring them into here so it's kind of better connecting ourselves to ourselves and also to our dogs through a range of rest and relaxation and daily ceremonies and practices and techniques. We do a lot of energy testing as well. So I show people how to energy test with their dogs, whether it's their dog's collar, what they feed their dog, whether it's a supplement. Um, yeah, it's, I really love them. I really love my retreats. Um, so what sort of nutritional diet do you recommend for our canine? Oh, that's a good one. So like I, do you say that so like not all like i'm definitely a raw feeder unless a dog isn't so if a dog's unwell so this is the thing because raw food i ain't got a problem with raw food and when i say like if we've got a dog that's unwell people often say oh yeah it's because of like the bacteria in the raw if like a dog's unwell i'm like no no not at all it's because if a dog is unwell they're already their vital energy is already depleted and so to digest energy that is required to digest raw food take it takes more energy than what it would to be digest now like lightly cooked food which is why you know you always say like if you're unwell then have some chicken soup or something make something that's very like it's very liquidy and there's already kind of it's all it's almost like it's it's i see it as like a regurgitated food it's already kind of it, it's not going to take that long it's not going to take that amount of e much energy to kind of digest mm. um so if we've got a dog that's unwell then i would consider like you know someone lightly cooking or cooking the food for the dog but yeah i mean you know i've been feeding raw with Fatunka Seela for 12 years. So when I first got her as a puppy, I put her on raw. So I've been doing it for 12 years. So definitely raw, but I'm also, you know, not all dogs, like not all raw is made equal and our dogs are individuals. So this is why I really enjoy the concept of, um, uh, of, of um, like energy testing and getting people to just have, just be playful with it. Again, as humans, we're like, oh, so some more information, some no, more news and I feel really bad and I've been doing it all wrong. I'm like, like I am definitely not here to tell you whether you've done something right or wrong. I'm just here to to expand on your knowledge and learning. So you know, be playful with it, be fun. Um, but yeah, definitely not all raw foods made equal. But our, you know, our dogs are individuals. So 
Um, I then get people to understand in terms of functional character, there might be food sources that our dogs need, depending on functional character and then their group composition. Depending on who the dog is in terms of its energetics, might be that some foods are more compatible for the dog than other foods. Um, but yeah, sometimes, you know, it's our dog. It, for me, because I'm a conservation biologist and the way that I work and the way that I am, it's like nature has like nature has a code. There is a natural code that we should not be messing with. Like we are natural beings, our dogs are natural beings. And so it's almost like when we think, and we, this is what I struggle with from a dietary and nutrition perspective. We know there is so much information. There are so many books. There are so many studies that are looking at how ultra processed food is damaging for human health. Like we know that that is because it's damaging to the cells of that individual. We are all cells, so it's going to be damaging to our dogs. And this is what I'm, I struggle when people kind of struggle to understand that. But also, like, nature has a code. And so it's like what I say to people. It's like, okay, when we eat food, when, when we eat like fresh food, when we eat our, our fresh vegetables, our fresh fruits, our, our herbs, it's like that's all full of nature's code of, you know, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. But when we kind of create processed food, we change we change the code of nature so all of a sudden it's like our body is made of numbers and nature's code is made made of numbers so one two three four five six seven eight nine ten recognizes one two three four five six seven nine ten but then we kind of get this food and we change it so all of a sudden it kind of is not numbers but it's letters so then our body then starts to go okay well this this letter b kind of looks similar to an eight but it's a little bit like we'll try and fit it in so it's still we can still get some form of nutrition but it's extra effort it's extra energy it's more challenging for the body and so i'm like and also i'm just like guys we just should not be messing with nature's code like there is a formula there is a pattern and we are part of that pattern we are part of that formula um so it's always made sense to me so that our dogs should be fed raw it's always made sense to me that you know when i work with the wolves they're getting fed they're getting fed raw why would it be any different for our dogs but equally i very much appreciate and and value that um there there is so much information and through people's own stories therefore becoming greedy or potentially dishonest the raw feeding when we're roughing our dogs we have to do it correctly um and some people are not doing it correctly and some people are not selling it correctly which is why then it's then detrimental to our dogs but yeah certainly for me you know i love i mean i love going to the supermarket and getting bits and pieces for my dogs that I'm just going to give to them that evening. And then, you know, from, I'm like, I don't have, like, I, I, I don't formulate. That's one thing that I do not do. Um, but I'm like, balanced diet happens over time. Like, I, I am not having a balanced diet every day. Um, and, yeah, I'm not chicken carcass or bone every day. And that's something that I wouldn't be doing, like, you know, raw meaty bone every day because that can cause compaction. That can cause a problem. But um, my dogs have complete raw food. They also have DIY days as well. And how about, um, well, clean eating or, you know, a species appropriate diet that's for our dogs. That's what you're sort of referring to. Um, yeah. How about you personally? Are, are you vegetarian, vegan? You are know, you... so, so many people, so many people think that I'm, yeah. So many people like assume or expect me to be vegan. It's really funny. So, I largely have a plant-based diet, largely. Um, I occasionally eat meat. 
uh, and I do eat eggs, but that I only ever eat. And normally, if I'm going to eat meat and eggs, it's normally when I'm at home because I'll only eat organic meat and eggs. And I'm definitely one to not, you know, I might have meat maybe maybe once a week. That's also because I am, you know, I'm. I don't. I don't have a problem admitting this, but my body needs meat. If I don't, if I don't have certainly some organic meat once a week, then my energy levels deplete. Um, I cognitively. That yeah, that is that's yeah. I just notice differences. I do a lot of exercise, so um, yeah, I just find that I do need to have some meat in my diet. But I'm aware that even in terms of like um, a primitive diet, we wouldn't like it. Don't be like a feast and famine where like we would get we would eat absolutely every part of that animal. Um, so if I'm eating something, then I'm having an organic steak. Then I'm making sure that I am going to eat the fat. I'm going to eat you know all parts of the animal that I've then got from the supermarket that has died to allow me to live. Uh, and I, I definitely honor it. So there's an honoring that I do there. Um, and you know what, like I, I do a relatively good diet. Miley's heel is um, my chocolate. So I will tell everybody don't eat Very sugar. Human. Like, sugar is so bad, so, so bad. But I do eat sugar. Like I am a lot better than what I used to be. But there's been days during this pandemic where I've just gone like, bum, 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 bum. yeah. Um, but I I am a lot better. But yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I think you know I think that's important. I think it's you know again, um, denying yourself something that makes you feel good, even though it's like it, so. As long as your body's healthy, like I know, I definitely know if I've had too much sugar. I you know like for the neck the two days after I'm just like. I, I just know and I remind myself I this is why you shouldn't eat so much sugar. Um but it also make you know, it makes me feel good. It's a treat, it's a reward. Um and again it's very good quality and make sure it's good quality. So and it's only I don't eat dairy. I, that's a lie. I don't have dairy from cattle. I have the occasional dairy um but I will have like manchego cheese, which is from goat. So if I'm having my chocolate it's always it's always dark or, or vegan chocolate. Yeah. I think what, what, what you're describing is something that's actually very naturalistic um, in the past where how humans actually live, you know, they go with the seasons and, you know, when, yeah, when, yeah. When, there's, when there's meat, you eat a bit of meat. When there's no meat, it's more plant-based, which I think um, yeah. historically or ancestry, I think that's, you know, that's what we all are actually, you know. Yeah, we, it's we, it works really well for me. And, all the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We shouldn't be, again, and also like the, and the quality of me and and just, yeah you know it's like i do a ceremony if i'm eating meat um but there's still there isn't a nece- there isn't a necessity to to eat to consume that you know so much of an animal um and even the same with like you know when i worked with the wolves they had a feast and famine diet so they had a huge prey animal put in um, but then they wouldn't be fed for four or five days. So it's like they consume, you know, the meat and the organs and they're consuming that. And then for the rest of the days, they're still grazing, but they're, like, they're chomping on a bit of bone or a bit of, you know, um, ligament. Or, or And this is why, again, when people are like, I feed my dog bone every day, like in the complete food, it's fine because it's ground down. But people are giving their dog meaty bone every day. I'm like, you know, that has the potential to cause intestinal tears, to cause compaction to, you know, because that isn't also... It's natural for a canine to have a raw meaty bone, but it isn't necessarily natural for to have them for them to have that every day. Do you do you fast your dog? Um... Do you know what? No, um, I don't have a problem with dogs being fasted, um, but again, 
I prefer to ask the question of, is it applicable for that individual? How supportive is it, is it for the individual? Um, so like Tunka Seela, a few years ago, she was very, very unwell. I'm sorry, I'm looking because she's lying on the floor next to me. Um, she was very, very unwell and she took herself off food. So I'm like, I'm not going to force feed her. Um, so and I, I'm a big fan of, and, and I do know some dogs that are healthy, very, very healthy dogs, but actually they choose to fast themselves for 24 hours. So I don't have a problem with that. Um, I think for some people that they also fast. So what they do is they fast and they fast with like when they're fasting, their dog fasting. And that's a really good thing to do because certainly like in our household, because our house is kind of, our dogs have access to all the rooms. Our downstairs is open plan that our dogs see us have breakfast, lunch and tea. So um, I know certainly for my dogs in our household, it's not fair for them to then be fasted and yet for us to be eating. Um, so I don't, I personally don't fast my dogs. They have done, all of my dogs have fasted themselves when they've not been unwell. And I'm like, that's great because that's kind of what we should be doing. Unless, it, you know, I might make them up a bone broth or something. Um, but it's not something that I personally do. I, I, I think it's great. I think fasting is, is actually really good. Um, but yeah, it's not something that I, that I personally do. Um, when you talk about the dog self-selecting, you know, they're yeah. choosing to fast because they're not well and uh, maybe self-selecting that we see some dogs when they're outside, they choose to eat certain herbs or grasses out when they're outside because they're yeah. not well. Yeah. Um, okay, I'm very bad with this term. Is it zoopharmacognosy? Zoopharmacognosy? Yeah. 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 That, that's basically like self-selection or self-medication. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, it's, but yeah, exactly. It's... Um, yeah um just animals have knowledge about medicine that's what it's broken down into um so it's um yeah rod there's a couple of scientists rodriguez and rangham i think that well that's I, when did they start they first talked about it i think you know was it the 1980s i can't even remember i've got one of their papers um yeah rodriguez and rangham kind of described well they turned it to pharmacognosy but it was talked about way way before then um kind of like through a form of just um, behavior responses to an animal knowing what it needs to forage on either either for a preventative measure of for example parasites or when that animal was when that animal was unwell and so again because everything is an energy so it's like uh, I've, I've got my um i've got some stuff set up down here but um like even in here so this is like a hydrosol so this is a floral water um and although work with it from a self-selection perspective of the animal may want to lick it, the animal might want to sniff it, the animal might want, might want it to have rubbed on its body. Um, we see it as a liquid, but again, as humans, we can be very linear and very stuck in like the, the practical, physical world, whereas everything has an energy. So when we are working with this or when a dog is outside and foraging, um, it's an attraction. It's the vibrational state of that dog at that moment in time is connecting to the vibrational state of that resource or basically the spirit of the dog is collecting to the spirit of the plant and there is an attraction when something is needed to be consumed for health purposes whether it's emotional whether it's hormonal whether it's physical whether it's physiological whether it's uh, emotional um, but also when it is no longer like vibrationally when there's like then a um, uh, a distract uh, not a distraction um, uh, an opposition then the animal no longer needs it or it's just like, well, I, do, I don't, I don't need to, I don't want to eat it. And um, I really love it. I really love it as a subject because it's, you know, as a zoologist, I'm trained to observe and I really love just allowing that dog in its moment of just 
just foraging on on what it needs i mean of course we have to be sensible it's helpful if we are aware of um certainly if we're outside the the plants that a dog is consuming um but it's yeah it's just such a beautiful it's a beautiful um it's a beautiful opportunity and something that's very natural to the dog you know a primary response a primary emotional primary response is seeking and foraging behavior that brings a dog pleasure so allowing them you know that's that's why dogs love doing having like teaching them scent work for example but also allowing them to forage is their natural want and need to to seek but bring it in to then i did what i did some some zoo pharmacognosia some essential oil work with tunkasil just at the weekend um, and it's just another like when I do this with clients, they'll just say, look, like I have I've got a really good relationship with my dog and I can't really explain it. But there's just been a shift like something. Our relationship has just got even on a deeper level. And it's again, it's because you're silently communicating. All, all that's happening is that on a soul level, it's like the plant speaking to the dog, human speaking to the dog, but on a complete from a vibrational perspective. Um, it's really lovely. I really, really enjoy it. That's amazing. Um, so with nutrition and all that, and we're talking about, you know, self-selection, um, dogs eating poop. Aha. Uh-huh. I had this as a question of the day. Yeah. <laughs> normal, okay. not normal um, reason for so it. Yes. Yeah. Normal, normal. Um, so this is the thing, multiple reasons for it. So, um, again, because our dogs are like, because our dogs are literally um responding based on what they feel they're responding based on yeah what they see what they feel is that again that poo is is an energy so there is something in that poo that for the dog is like okay there's something in there that my body is wants to consume so sometimes it can be if a dog has been fed an ultra processed food or a dog has been overfed the dog that's eating the poo is going to go well that's to, to the dog that's food so that's kind of what we forget that there is traces of food in the poo we just think cognitive like we can like logically go that's gross because that's waste and it's poo um dogs be like there's food in that so i'm going to eat it or it's you know, the the dog hasn't been able to, to digest something in that in that food so i'm going to eat it so that can happen um sometimes it can be if you've got a dog as a puppy or a dog as a rescue that was starved um and they basically what's happened is that they've kind of got stuck their, their body's got trapped uh, because again they cognitively can't know all right i'm now not like a starved puppy or a starved rescue dog now um like now get my two meals a day like there's kind of like a a feedback loop where the dog is taking the dog the dog still lives from um a food perspective of like food's always in short supply so they'll just kind of grab whatever they can and they can also do it from a scent perspective if the dog is not getting a food source that it needs and the the poo that they're eating is from a dog that's maybe you know on a good quality food or a raw food or there's some sort of like energy in that food that the dog needs in terms of scent then the dog can consume it if the dog's got um like uh, a kind of um a microbiome then you know the dog can be consumed the food for that for that for that bacteria to enhance and support the microbiome that we know is so magnificent and so beautiful in itself of how supportive it is for the dog's entire ecosystem um and i'm sure you know there are many many other reasons why dogs do it that we don't even have a clue and understanding why so you would tell uh, a dog owner like don't panic too much about your dog eating the poop but there's a reason why the dog is eating that poop so in that sense yeah, there's so a scientific depends. reason I mean, as well like, analysis yeah 
I mean, I know there are some dogs that I've eaten poo and they're like, oh, you know, my dog eats poo and then like they have really bad sickness. I'm like, okay, well, that's obviously not, unless the dog is taking it to purge, like we need to look at that further. But, you know, the questions are, I want to know, like, is it, is it all the time? Is it certain poo? Is it its own? Like, I would always, you know, because I, in that sense, I work holistically. So it's always like, yeah, let's not look at it in terms of textbook. If a dog eats poo, it's because, duh. Let's look at your dog and what applies to your dog and what we understand from it. Um, when you say, because we're talking now about microbiome and, you know, for the humans, we talk about the gut-brain axis, you know, how, yes. you know, yeah. the, the second brain is, you know. And the vagus nerve. Yes, yeah. and the vagus yeah. nerve and how it affects, again, you know, our behavior, our energy level, um, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and again, mindset and attitude as well, um, you know, how you look at things. Um, is, is there a gut brain axis with dogs? Oh my, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. There's, this is when we're like, we are in that sense, like we are all mammals, so and we're all made up of cells. But yeah, there's absolutely a biggest nerve in dogs. There's an absolute gut brain axis in, I would certainly say all mammals because I'm kind of no more about mammals than um, amphibians and reptiles. I would like to say there's a gut brain axis with reptiles and there must amphibians but there, i mean there must be i don't 100 percent know that but definitely with mammals there's a gut brain axis yeah so we should feed them a, a clean a, as clean as we can because uh, again you were talking about the food source the quality of your food source as well because that, yeah. that will make an impact on you know the energy of the of the food, the vibration. Absolutely, well, yeah. and yeah. it will affect the gut and and you know health in general. Um, it's all again. It's it's very functional. It's like almost like functional medicine. How you know? Yeah, it how, is. Yeah. You know how how you approach everything. You know, um, which is just so you know mind blowing. It's just amazing. <laughs> you know? I, I love it. You know. Uh, yeah, I love it as well. And it's not, it's not about, you know, trying to overcomplicate to make it impossible for anybody. This, you know, it should be about fun. Like there is, for me, it's always about having fun as we learn. But equally, I'm like, look, the dog never asked to live with us. We decided that. So therefore it is our, again, almost like an unwritten contract that we signed with the dog to go, it is now my duty and my role and my responsibility to honour you as a whole animal and to honour you and respect you and give the life that you need based on what it is that you need. And for me, like diet is diet is no different. Like, as, as I say, like the dog's body is, you can't separate it from anything else. So if a dog is nutritionally distressed, then that is going to create new nervous system distress, immune system distress, physiological distress, everything distress. Um, so yeah, absolutely. It has to, the same rules that we are telling ourselves to do and that, you know, in terms of wellness stuff that's coming out for humans, and it applies, it applies to our dogs as well. It applies to, to all animals and to all life. Of all the um, dogs, the clients that you've had, um, which would be your most difficult case that you've encountered or most challenging oh. case you've encountered? Uh, do you know the most, the most challenging case? Do you know what? I'm, like that. I'm going to have to sit and think about that because... Um, I think, uh, no, I know, I feel the ones that are coming up are um, the ones largely where, yes, the dog has got challenges, but so is the human. 
and the dog's challenges are being exacerbated because of the human so then it becomes we're not just working with the dog but we're also working with the human but it's like a, a very big holistic setting where like you know the dog is vaccinated the dog has chemicals the dog has a processed diet the dog has you know the, the human guardian has a certain level of expectation not because they're being cruel but because that's what they were taught as a child that's what they read in the book like this is what my dog should be doing this is how my dog should be doing it so that pressure that they were putting on the dog so the dog was really really stressed and then you know then it comes out like the human actually themselves is not really living not really living a life that they enjoy you know they feel there's you know they 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 don't feel loved or they don't feel enough and so it becomes like a really you know it's it's a it's, it's actually a big thing it's really a really big thing to to support our dogs um they're, and they're the ones that i enjoy the most actually and have you found when you know when you're trying to help the dog but you know that helping the dog you have to help the the owner the human the human owner um through this transition transformation journey um are they aware that it is them as well that has to transform and change or are they very resistant to your help um it depends so some people are really yeah some people are really aware some people are really resistant and the thing is it's not um like even in the like the um shamanic practices that i do when i'm doing healings on people or the coaching um it's about like a hundred percent showing up so everyone has to take responsibility for themselves it's either look this is the information i can give you but each person has to take responsibility so equally if they're just like well no i'm not prepared to do that i'm not prepared to change or i'm not you know this sounds nonsense or i just want my dog to be sort of don't look at me then i'm like it's your life you know i'm 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 here i can give you i can give you the tools and i can give you the guidance and i can give you the information i can give you my advice how you utilize that and to what extent to better your life and that of your dogs like you know at the end of the day as much as i kind of want to help the dog as much as i can that dog's not my dog um and yeah everyone everyone does have a choice and some people yeah it's like it's your life i can't really tell you how to live it i'm giving you i'm respectfully giving you the advice um yeah and some people yeah some people are like wow i never even thought of that and this sounds amazing like yes and it is kind of like the dog is their medicine because they would never have got the courage or determination to make a difference to themselves if it wasn't for their dog Whereas some people, are, yeah, they're just, and again, because it, 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 it still comes from a place of fear. You know, we might say, well, they're arrogant or they're selfish, but it, it actually just comes from a place of fear of like, wow, you know, that's going to open Pandora's box and fear tells me not to open it. And, and so when I live that way, you, 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 it's like, you can't judge anybody. Somebody asked me ages ago, like, how can I go to somebody's house and not judge them? I'm like, that's not my job. Like someone is, someone is trusting me to come to their house that doesn't know me to observe their dog to give them advice to pay me my job is not to judge and how can i judge when i've not worked in that person i've not walked in that person's shoes that's just that that's just me making assumptions but i don't know what their life's been like i don't know how hard it's been for them i don't know what their parents said to them or their grandparents so like i can i can give them advice of how to um feel more loving of themselves and loving of of life and loving of other people I can give them information about how to understand their dog more. Um, you know, someone once said to me, it's like, because I, I, you know, I have had clients where they, they truly believed the right protocol to teach their dog was to hit them. And people have said, you know, well, how, you know, you don't even judge those people. I mean, I can't, like, I wouldn't even, you know, I wouldn't even 
I speak to that person I wouldn't even do a consultation with them I'm like but it's not that's not education that is just judgment and that's not helping any truly like they genuinely did not know the difference is if they know look my dog but I I know it shouldn't, but I don't care. Then that's different. I'm like, do you know what? Energetically, I am not choosing to put my energy into that space. But if someone genuinely believes, like, well, that's what my dad did. So I just thought that's how you teach a dog. Then teaching them there's another way and showing them there's another way not only actually opens up who they are as a person and, and actually can change their view on the world. It changes their relationship with their dog. And that's that's what it's all about. Thank you for listening to Dr. Isla's story. Look out for Ronnie Lejeune's interview next week. Wow, I'm so thankful and grateful that you took the time to listen to this podcast. It would mean the world to me if you could subscribe, download, rate, review, and share this with others whom you care about that may enjoy it as well. Thank you and remember to be kind to yourself and others. Have a awesome day, everyone.